Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stamper Cinema. I am your host, Andrew Stamper. I gotta tell you, I am super excited about today's episode. Like, I know I'll probably say that on many episodes I do, but in this case, it's really, really true. Not only do I get to talk about a movie that is among my all-time favorites, I also get to interview and talk to one of my best friends in the whole world, who also just happens to be my brother. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce and welcome Nathan Stamper. How's it going, man? Thank you very much for being here, bud. Good, good. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, Would you uh, go ahead and do us a favor and maybe introduce yourself, let our listeners know a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, how you feel right now that uh, Liverpool Football Club are champions of the Premiership, you know, uh, all that fun stuff. Absolutely. Well, um, name is Nathan. I go by Dagger. (laughs) No, I don't. No one calls me Dagger. When did that happen? (laughs) I I, I missed that memo. No. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm from Bermuda like Andrew and, you know, I enjoy film, theater, reading, writing, all the, all the fun stuff. Um, also enjoy playing football just like Andrew. Um, you know, I'm what, um, my brother and I call each other, uh, well, our other brother, Matthew, call each other a uh, luxury striker where I don't do any of the work and just wait for people to pass me the ball. Uh, um, so that, that's, that's my position as a luxury striker. Um, but other than that, I'm just a, a regular dad of two, uh, a three-year-old and one-month-old who are fantastic. And, you know, I have a, a pretty awesome wife. She's over there. And yeah, other than that, I am ecstatic that Liverpool won the league after around a 30-year wait. Um, four of those, year, those years, I was not even in existence so that's pretty cool (laughs) um you know i'm I'm older than some of the players who got to lift the trophy so that's always fun to see yeah totally yeah and then and then we got thrashed by uh city 4-0 who had to give us a guard of honor so that was fun um but yeah besides that i just i'm just really happy to to be here talking to you about uh one of my all-time favorite films actually um, before we start talking about the movie, I think it, it's kind of important to kind of discuss like the landscape of where we are right now. Obviously, we're in as I've as we're recording this, we're in the the second wave, if you will, of like the whole COVID uh, experience. How has this been for your family? You know, not to necessarily get too personal or anything, but how have you guys been keeping busy do, uh, during during this whole thing? Honestly, not a whole lot. Just a lot of cinema, a lot of Netflix. What are you, you, what are you watching? Um, we just finished watching this one show called, um, well, not just, but the most recent one is called The Kingdom. That was pretty cool. It's um, a Korean show, if I'm not mistaken, or, or some sort of Asian show. And it's basically setting like the Ming Dynasty or something like that. And it was all to do with like this herb that turned people into zombies. And it was pretty cool because it was like, hack and slash zombie show now does your absolutely beautiful wife vanessa does she watch this type of stuff as well it's funny actually she enjoyed that show and the film in question she actually enjoyed as well which was not yeah it was a surprise so but yeah other than that you know um she's gotten me heavily and guiltily hooked onto uh Korean soap operas. So that's always fun. Korean and Taiwanese and very cheesy, very fun, feel good shows, especially in this climate. It's always nice to come back feeling good. I know you guys like met in, I always, I know you guys met in college, but like, what's the story? Did you approach her? Well, it was funny because Vanessa and I met, um, I believe it was like on the first day of school, first day of class. It was theater. She was late to it. Yeah. It was just really funny um, because I, liked her from the start but she thought I was gay Um, not that there's anything wrong with that um yeah it took me about I think two years to actually ask her out and we've been going strong since now we're married and have two kids two beautiful daughters yes thank you for that 
two very, very lovely daughters. My brother, Nathan, uh, listeners, he has a, a fantastic family and uh, I'm, I'm extremely, extremely proud of him. So Nathan, why don't you tell us uh, the movie that you wanted to take a deep dive into? Well, it is, um, again, probably one of my favorites, um, especially by uh, John Carpenter, uh, The Thing. And it's just a phenomenal film that's, I don't want to say cheesy sci-fi films, but I kind of feel like it somewhat set the precedent for other like sci-fi films, especially towards like the early 2000s. It's, it's very fun, very, I guess you can say jump scary to a certain degree. And it has one of my favorite actors, um, um, Kurt Russell in it. So that's always a, a plus. Do you remember the very first time you, you saw the thing? Yeah, actually I did. I was thinking about it today. And the first time I saw it, I've seen it several times, not all the way through any of those times, but every single time I came back wanting more. The first time I think I was 12 okay. and I really didn't understand what was going on. And then again, I saw it around like 15, 16. And I was like, okay, this is actually really cool. And the set, then the third time I actually watched it from like maybe 30 minutes in to the ending was around 18. And ever since then, that's like my go-to recommendation. If you want a, a fun, scary film, the thing. As far back as I can remember, you've always really been into, for lack of a better term, like scary you know, whether scary stories or scary film. And I, I'm curious what, yes. what I'm, I myself also gravitate toward that genre, but what is it that, that appeals to you as a whole, like that genre? Yeah. I mean, it just encompasses a lot. Um, you know, I, I personally love it because I, I like to get scared every now and then. Um, especially like sort of the, the things that you can't really explain and the things that you don't know that's coming for you. That's probably my favorite type of, of horror, like subgenre, I guess you can call it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a lot of fun. I remember the first, I mean, it wasn't even a scary film, but the first time I was scared was watching a film was Indiana Jones, uh, the last crusade when I can't remember the, the villain's name, but he drank the, um, from the wrong, like not the Holy Grail, and he, he like chose turned to poorly. The wrong, yes, he chose poorly. That's the one, and then yeah, that was that was probably the first time I got scared because he kind of just aged and deteriorated into, you know, death basically. And yeah. that was like the first time I, you know, and I remember where I was. I was I think like six, and uh, we were in Florida taking a trip. And yeah, that was, that that moment stuck with me for ages. You know, the other time I got scared was watching Jumanji. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, so I mean, my 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 horror taste is definitely a a wide spectrum, but it's mainly because I enjoy the things that I can't explain, and the things that you know truly terrify me are what's coming for you, and you don't even know what's coming for you the thing that gravitates me towards the thing is you don't know who it is or, or what it is exactly besides a parasite, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, just like with um, classic zombie movie, you don't know who got bit until it's too late. And that's kind of like my favorite type of film. Couple things I want to unpack there. Uh, first and foremost on a lighter side, what, what specifically about Jumanji? Uh, what, <laughs> Everything, man. It was a terrifying film. Um, you know, mainly I, my mom tries to um, explain where it's probably because of the animals coming out of the board game. No, I was kind of just scared of Robin Williams uh, when I was younger. <laughs> and and I, I love him now. But, you know, my first interaction with Robin Williams was when he was um, the genie from Aladdin. And then the next film I see him in is in Jumanji. And I'm like, hey, that's the genie's voice. But that's, that's not the genie. Who is this guy? Now, I'm trying to remember. Was it you or no, it was Matthew that that was like one of his favorite films, right? Like when he was mm -hmm. real young was, yes. I, I must have seen Aladdin with him. Shit, I don't even know how many times. <laughs> A lot, probably. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was 
where you're trying to explain kind of something that you're interested in in the genre as far as you don't know what's coming up. Uh, I, I totally agree. I completely agree. And that all that makes sense for me, like this genre as a whole, or can, we can get into subgenres within the horror like grand scope. But for me, what has always, and not just this movie, but this movie certainly is a prime example of it, is I've always found that these films to be more interesting. Uh, and what I mean by that is you see filmmakers taking more risks with how they make a movie. You know, whether we're looking at special effects or makeup, things like that, set design, you see some some risks and challenges that that these filmmakers do. This film, as a result, has been a pioneer in so many different ways. I guess the next thing to do, uh, kind of like the brief plot line, do you want to talk about or you want me to go I'll, ahead I'll and... Kind of a crack at it. I'm really bad at synopsis or synopsis. Sure, I mean, if, yeah. If you'd like to interject, by all means. Um, essentially, they're in um, the Antarctic, if I'm not mistaken. And it's a research team consisting of a, a group of, of ragtag like members. Um, the the main character McGreedy is just uh, a pilot who's just a, I don't want to say a raging alcoholic, but he definitely is, has relapsed. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, during like his time in the Ar- Antarctic. And then there's like a whole group of people um, like Childs and um, Dr. Blair and uh, Fuchs, I think his name is, or Fox. I can't remember. Fuchs. Fuchs. My wife is, is in the background. She'll, she'll be correcting me throughout the, 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 I love it. I mean, we can keep yeah. this a fact checker. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it, it starts off really interestingly enough where a remake ended. And I don't, you know, it was just interesting how like this dog is running through this tundra and these people in a helicopter are trying to shoot and kill it. And when I first saw that happen, I was like, why are they trying to shoot and kill this dog? And Essentially, it, it just all spirals down into this who's who, what's what, you know, down is up, up is down of confusion and people just turning against each other in a matter of hours because this creature is assimilating and turning one another into itself, essentially, is the best way I can describe what the thing does. Pretty much knock that out of the park on as far as the plot synopsis. Yeah, so as Nathan was saying, it's like these Norwegian like pilots are chasing and hunting after this Alaskan Malamute. As a result, like these two Norwegian guys died. The Americans soon discover that the dog is actually like this shape-shifting alien parasite type thing that that assumes both the shape and identity of its victims. They learn that not only is their survival in danger, but so is that of mankind. And it come, becomes kind of like a race against time. As Nathan also mentioned, it is a uh, John Carpenter film uh, directed. Uh, the movie was released in 1982, started originally as a book uh, called, I want to say it was called Who Goes There? I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, so it was like, I, cool. I, I want to say it was in the 40s. Okay. And then a few years later, Who Goes There became a movie called The Thing from Another World, I want to say. Instead of the Antarctic, it took place in the Arctic. Similar concept, but not quite the same thing. And John Carpenter adapted... Uh, the original to make it more like the original book. He kept kind of that, that title instead of you know just dropping from another world, and you called it the thing. But it's based on this John Campbell uh, short story or novel. I can't remember if it's short story or novel. So I'm right there. I'm, I'm, I might be wrong. Uh, they brought in screenwriter Bill Lancaster to create the screenplay. Uh, they shot the movie in three different locations. They shot it in Juneau, Alaska. They shot it in British Columbia. Both Juneau, Alaska and British Columbia were for like all the external shots that they had, like the camp and everything. And then all of their internal shots, they went ahead and filmed. I, I don't remember what studio it was, but they filmed it in LA, like during the, like the like prime summer, like 100 degree, like heat. Yeah, so I mean, I, what I want to get into is before we start getting into some of the deeper themes is talk about the reception. You love the movie. I love the movie. It has a huge classic following, but was there anything else that you wanted to, you wanted to talk about before I start talking about its overall reception? Not so much about the film itself, just um, John Carpenter. He is 
um, I, I really love his stuff. And of course, John and um, Kurt Russ, I say John, like I know him personally, like we went to different schools together. That's how well we, we know each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, John Carpenter and, and Kurt Russell did, you know, three really good films that I know of um, really. And like, I love them. Like to me, they're, they're cold classics, not only the thing. And um, I was going to say they live, but that was with uh, Roddy Piper. It was The Thing, Escape from New York, and Big Trouble in Little China. Probably three of my favorite Kurt Russell films, not only because John Carpenter was involved, but because they're just so much fun to watch. And you can rewatch and just notice different things that you wouldn't have seen the first time around. Yeah, without a doubt. Absolutely. And I, yeah, and I love films that require multiple viewings. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, John Carpenter really knocks it out of the park when, yeah. when that's involved. Yeah, brilliant filmmaker. Love Carpenter. Um, just among my absolute favorite filmmakers. And again, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, The Thing, all three great movies. Now, he did a couple other things. He did Escape from L.A., which came out in toward the back half of the 90s. So that was like the last thing that oh, he did together. Okay. And the very first thing they did was a, I want to say it was a TV movie, but they they did an Elvis film john carpenter directed and kurt russell played played elvis yeah really huh. i've never seen it never seen it i would love to see in some blue age shoes <laughs> just want to see him with sideburns man i mean oh man that'd be fantastic granted in this one he was rocking like the ultimate epic beard in this one. Oh yeah like the grisliest of grizzly beards yeah 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 just gnarly yeah um when we look at this movie, if you were to go hop on like the, the website Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see this movie yeah. has, has an 84%, which very, very strong. A 92, 92% audience score. Again, great. 8.1 yeah. IMDb. Again, awesome, awesome, awesome. Extremely revered sci-fi classic uh, for story, Absolutely. special effects, acting, cast, direction, one of the most influential sci-fi horrors. That being said, not always the case. In fact, this movie was monumentally panned when it came out, like monumentally panned. Like Roger Ebert, famed critic Roger Ebert, gave it like two stars out of four. Really scathing review, variety scathing reviews. But like, I think my favorite, and I was just going through, was uh, the New York Times. Here, I have to read this blurb because it, it, it's just, it's brutal. The Thing is a foolish, depressing, overproduced movie that mixes horror with science fiction to make something that is fun as neither one thing or the other. Sometimes it looks as if it aspired to be the quintessential moron movie of the 80s, a virtually storyless feature composed of lots of laboratory-concocted special effects with actors used merely as props to be hacked slash disemboweled and decapitated, finally to be eaten and then regurgitated as, guess what, more laboratory-concocted special effects. There may be a metaphor in all of this, but I doubt it. Two out of five stars. Um, just, just brutal, just mean. And there, there are more yeah. things like that. When the film came out, it got taken to the cleaners. Now it made its money back. The budget, depending on where you look at it, is somewhere between, it, it had a budget of 10 to $15 million, which for John Carpenter was huge. Cause I mean, you know, he had mm -hmm. done Halloween on no budget. He had done the fog on Absolutely. no budget, escape from New York, no budget, and this was his first studio film. So larger budget, you know, uh, filming on location, like I said, ten, somewhere between 10 to 15, which still in the grand scheme of things wasn't, wasn't large for its day. There were plenty of movies that had a larger budget. The movie made 19 million in the box office. Again, made its money back, but it was perceived to be a failure. I think there are many reasons why. And I've got a question for you. And obviously this is long Absolutely. before you were born, but another famous alien film yep. came out two weeks before the thing, yep. two weeks. And it was a, it was a happy alien film, a lovable alien. Oh, film. do you have any idea? I was going silly. I was going with, um, was it Ridley Scott? 
thoughts alien but i was way off no well that's okay that's okay ridley scott yeah, had another I was, movie. It was et yeah et it was e. definitely et yeah so the yeah. movie came out two, with drew barrymore yeah yep two <laughs> weeks after it and at that time Dang. everybody loved et everybody i mean it was killing yeah. it was setting like records left and right and this movie comes out with a completely different tone right different type of alien yeah yeah and people were like people were turned off they're like fuck this I don't, I don't want, I don't want an angry alien. I want, I want that, that cozy little alien with the, with the telephone with, finger, with the Arsenio Hall finger, right? I mean, just that giant <laughs> knob right there. It's just weight yeah. whacking at you. So it got destroyed. It's also not fair. And it's not just E.T., but listen to some of the other shit that was in the theaters at that same time. So you had E.T., you had a different Ridley yep. Scott film called Blade Runner in the box office at that same time. You had Poltergeist in the theater at the same time. You had Rocky Three. You had a Star Trek movie in the theater. And for the kids, you had Annie. So there were just all these other movies that, that just really, really had, had an effect on it. So needless to say, there was some serious tough competition when the movie was released. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would have been even worse if McAnee came out during that time as well. That would have been atrocious. Like they would have just swept them under the rug. Dude, have you ever seen have you ever seen the Paul Rudd like bit? Do you know about this? All right. You know who the actor Paul Rudd yeah. is? Yep, he always shows McAnee yeah. <laughs> yeah. down the hill. <laughs> He's like, I have a new Ant Man clip. Do you want yeah. to see it? Yeah. <laughs> For the better part of twenty five years Every time that Paul Rudd has appeared on it, Conan O'Brien, whether it was like uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien or uh, The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, Conan, whatever, like whatever his versions were, whenever Paul Rudd comes on there and he's like trying to promote a film, he's only done one thing. He's only showed the same clip of this shitty wannabe et movie called mac and me where you funded by mcdonald's funded by mcdonald's yeah and and it's this clip of this poor boy that is wheelchair bound like falling down a hill falling over a cliff into a water and then you get like this pop-up of this shitty looking like alien being all surprised by it and like huh Oh my god, it's so good! It's, the best thing it's ever. so good, and uh, a little sidebar just had to had to talk about that. So, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. I was doing some more digging and looking at. Now everybody knows that Halloween was a massive success for John Carpenter. You know, famous oh, yes. low budget. Uh, I think to date it's recognized as the most successful independent film. Um, I think like it's up there with uh, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre in terms of how much money that movie grossed versus how much money it took like them to make the film. But it looks like Carpenter films are like a fine wine in that they they take on a new life after age. Because we already yeah. cited Big Trouble in Little China, but that movie itself also was a bomb in the theater. Like it yeah. it it just tanked. And now like when people talk about Big Trouble in Little China, again, people love it, people quote it, people have movie parties, people lose their shit over Big Trouble and Trouble, and rightfully so. Same thing with They Live, another movie. Oh man, I love they live. Yeah, bombed, just bombed. So yeah, fantastic career, but uh, oh, yeah. it, it just some like shit. There's another movie that he did in the '90s, in the mouth of madness, critically panned. Oh yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, because it was it. with Dr. Allen in um Jurassic Park. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sam Neill. I was. I don't know who the guys. Yeah. Yeah. Very. I enjoyed that film. Um, you know, do you read Sutter Kane? Yeah. Gripping. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it because it was like a. I don't want to say like a parody, but it was like based very, very loosely off H.P. Lovecraft, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, say what you will about him being a racist and having a, a cat named something very derogatory. Oh, but really? Fact, I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Basically, his cat was called N-Word Man. That was his cat's name. No shit. Yeah. Like, and, and no one talks about it. But yeah, so um, I just found it extremely interesting that the film is is based loosely loosely off of you know a lot of H.P. Love like Lovecraftian like fiction. I just I love it. Yeah, you know a lot of the films that I, I thoroughly enjoy 
are usually the ones that get tanked at the box office. <laughs> you know, that, that's like kind of my, I don't know what I, I like about it. Like Lords of Dogtown, I think did off what the box office, but I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen that. I, I don't know what, what that movie is. You don't need to. Okay. It's, Fair enough. It, it's just a skate. It's a skateboard film. Um, it's based uh, around like Tony Alva and like the, the pioneers of skateboarding. Okay. Okay, cool. So, it, it's not a great film. We had talked a little bit about Kurt Russell playing playing McCready, yeah. McCready, and he'd worked with Carpenter in several things. But other cast members that were in this film, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Wilford Brimley, notably <laughs> for you know his Quaker Oats and diabetes uh, commercials. <laughs> yes. Uh, so you had Wilford Brimley, you had Richard Mazur, who had been in a lot of things. Uh, Keith David, who was also in They Live, and uh, Keith David played Childs. And yes. what I will say is Keith David is probably the hardest motherfucker alive. That like that dude. Oh, dude, yeah. That dude. He just, he just looks like he can like beat ass every time. I I, I love him. Everything he's ever been in. I, I love Keith David. Yeah, I mean. If if he, he can beat the shit out of um, Roddy Piper, then yeah, I would have to say he's pretty strong. Dude, that fight scene is like twenty minutes long. Like, <laughs> and he just it's just it's just twenty minutes of just dude just slapping the shit. It's just awful. Like that's a trip to the ER. That's how bad the beating was. Dude, it's just it never ends. That movie is Roddy Piper talking that he's going to chew bubble gum and kick some ass. And then the other bitch had been, and then gets his ass kicked for about 20 minutes by Keith yep. David. Becomes friends with him later. So yeah. that's fun. Yeah. The other cast member I want to talk about, the, the dog, uh, actually famous actor, uh, Jed is in the name of the dog. It, yep. it is uh, an Alaskan Malamute. Uh, also in the film White Fang. Um, yes. And uh, just absolutely brilliant, brilliant dog. I know it's weird to go ahead and say I'm talking about a dog's performance, but that dog, pun intended, like absolutely killed it. I, I enjoyed the dog. It was funny. We have um, the Stars app on our TV, and I was like, I wonder if the dog is even credited. So we hit pause while the dog is on screen, and it shows Jed the dog. And I'm like, I wonder if he's famous. So I click, and it shows his um, filmography. And White Fang is is on there as well as uh, a few other films that I haven't even heard of or seen. But knowing that he's famous now, I got to check him out. Yeah, yeah. White Fang. It was it was good. Early '90s. I want to say Ethan Hawke was in it. I saw it probably when I was like 11, 12 years old. That's those are the notes that I had for cast in the movie. Was there anybody else that you wanted to touch on? Not really. Just I mean the the main man, uh, Kurt. He's he's. I just love him. He's just a fantastic. He's like the epitome of tough guy in the 80s mm-hmm. you know every every generation has a tough guy in the 80s in the 80s it was kurt russell in the 90s it was uh joe pesci you know so it's funny the slow funny decline. how like i am used funny how. Funny. what i loved about this this kurt russell performance specifically is the fact that in i think every other kurt russell performance i've seen he brings a sense of humor to it it's not that like he he's a goofball i mean he, he's you know a little bit of a goofball in a lot of the stuff this particular performance he played it very very straight the thing i like about him is is in all of his films he well in like you know the main three that i, I touched on he's a little jaded in in some way you know in big trouble he was very misogynistic in um uh, Escape from New York. He was like the king of one-liners, but in this one, it was very much realistic. And like he had a plight of being like very jaded in regards to being a recovering alcoholic or one who was falling back into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was just very, you know, it, it was it was very interesting to see the the progression that he had, especially towards the end, where he's like, you know, we'll just sit here and wait a while. It, it was very interesting and and real to see a defeated man you know, kind of rise up a little bit and then back down again. Yeah, definitely. If, if you can call it that. <laughs> yeah. So one of the other things I liked about his character, McCready, is McCready was a character that really didn't want, like, he didn't want the responsibility. He didn't want to take this position. He was essentially forced into it when Gary, who was the the, the boss of, of, the, of the outpost, kind of, 
relinquish duties and nobody else wanted it. Childs wanted it, but nobody necessarily really yeah. trusted Childs. Again, it's just a little bit different performance from Kurt Russell based on things that we had seen before where he was a reluctant hero, I think is probably like the, the yes. good, uh, good term to use for it. So it, it, it was interesting. And, you know, again, when you look at Big Trouble or if you look at shit Captain Ron or any other <laughs> lovable character he's had he's always he's had an entirely different type of personality oh yes now I want to I want to kind of move over to a couple other things before we get into the, the the main attraction which is kind of like talking about the the final discussion between uh McCready and Childs but there are a lot of really cool special effects gags in this, and I don't know what your favorite was, but I really, really loved where they were like, uh, they brought out the, like the defibrillator. They were trying to shock the guy and that it, had, oh, and then like the stomach opens yep. up and like rips off the arms of the doc. He's like, what? Yeah. So what I found out was they actually used a, a double amputee for that really? yeah for that shot and they essentially huh. made like prosthetic forearms with like like plastic and and rubber and like jello or something huh. like that yeah 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 uh, that is really interesting mm-hmm. yeah that that was probably one of my the one of the most intense scene because uh when i was watching it i was like what is going on but probably my favorite aspect of that film in terms of special effects was probably done post-filming um they actually went in and i actually watched this on uh, like a mini documentary of them explaining like they actually went in and added uh shine to to all the humans eyes and the moment you became assimilated you lost that sort of shine which i always thought was interesting and then it, it was just an interesting aspect to to see that they took the time to add this like shine across everyone's eyes except those who are assimilated right right yeah i had heard that uh admittedly i've never ever really noticed it but now it just gives me another reason to go back and kind of look at that but i had heard i had heard that but i had never really noticed it but yeah just all sorts of little cool like sight gags and things that they did any any other any other things of note that you can think of probably the like just to show how awesome it was back in like the 80s and how like they were reaching for trying to improve on on like special effects is the the first scene where the dog is is turning mm. and has like its little tendrils kind of whipping yep because when you're looking at it now it's like oh this is really crappy but if you're looking at it from the lens of the 80s you're like holy shit this dog is an alien yeah <laughs> like it's it's really cool based on solely when it was done and and how it was done where it was a lot of you know actual tangible effects and not so much what we rely on in, in cinema now, which is that, that CGI, mm-hmm. which I just think is so amazing that they actually made this thing like move basically. I also love like the kind of like the, that, that spider head gag. And uh, I forget who the character yes. was like, but the character when, when, um, when it started like walk out the room, <laughs> he's like, Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Yep. Yeah. It was funny because he was trying to like sneak out. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of, it was it was interesting because there's a lot of I don't want to say comedic events happening, but there was a lot of things that you know if you were completely unnerved in that situation you would probably have right. a little laugh yourself because it's just so strange that like a literal head with spider legs is literally walking <laughs> across trying to it's just, it's just such a weird thing but in the moment of course you're you're terrified but in that situation I'm sure you get a little laugh because it's like did this right. thing really try to sneak away or anything. The, like the kind of like the recurring themes in this movie, right? I mean, this is predominantly a film about paranoia and trust and claustrophobia. I mean, we were, yeah. given, we're given it all throughout, yeah. right? You've got that scene where Blair is talking to Clark and he was asking how long he was with the yep. dog. And Clark's like, why are you looking at me this oh, way? Yeah. Or what are you thinking? And the, the blood test and when they all start turning on each other and all yes. these, you know, like these recurring themes of, again, paranoia and trust and shit, you know, like even at the end when we're down to two survivors, you look at the fact that they are completely alone and short of being on an actual island, yeah. they were on a completely isolated continent and it's completely whited out you don't know like up from down left right you don't know who's human who isn't human 
So just this whole idea of being completely uh, cut off from the rest world, uh, the rest of the world, not just geographically, but even like contacts, right? Like their radios were down, like uh, Windows, who was their uh, their their yeah. radio guy, you know, like they they had that little bit of dialogue that they couldn't get in touch with anybody. It, it was just interesting to see how how truly isolated they were in regards to the beginning, where they're trying to get in contact with people and they just can't. And then as the film aggresses they're truly isolated from each other because there's this distrust mounting, there's this paranoia, like you said. And then of course it, it goes back to like the who's who and the what's what, like, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it really was epitomized when the, the blood test was done and like you're, you're banking on um, Palmer. I think it was like everyone, like, you know, you're thinking it's Palmer, but it just throws a complete curveball, and it was someone you didn't expect and it, it was just it was just insane to see because everyone was like oh no mccready was gone for a while because um Foles, was it Foles? Nulls. i think it was his name Knowles. Foles, Knowles. yeah yeah Knowles left him and he's like he cut him loose was the term he used he cut him loose yeah cut him loose and then he returns and he's like just stark white from the snow mm-hmm. and it, it was just insane how like quickly people devolved into into madness basically yeah Mm -hmm. and as you said earlier i mean this was really in the matter of hours really i mean we're we're not watching something over the course of a couple weeks the other thing because of the fact that they can't trust each other you see these people getting worn out nobody's going to sleep because they don't trust each other because you can go to sleep and you you might not wake up or if you wake up you're not going to be you right what I, w- I I couldn't help but think of a couple parallels when I was watching this. One with this, you've got this idea of you know silent killer, and although this is to an extreme, people not necessarily knowing who's infected, who isn't infected. We are in this kind of COVID landscape, right, where people have something that they don't know. You know, most people are asymptomatic and they don't know that they're carrying something. But the other thing that I'm fascinated with is this movie came out in 82. This was right at the beginning where there were murmurs of this thing called AIDS. So again, just something else that people didn't know how they got it. People didn't know, absolutely, you know, uh, if they had it and people were getting sick and getting other people sick. Obviously not to say this movie was, an allegory or uh, it, it, or it was trying to talk about something other than what it really was, which was just an alien film. You could see, yeah. you could see some real world horrors, if you will, in, in this alien parasite film. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I really like how you kind of compare, I don't want to say compared, but you know, with, with everything going on, especially with COVID, I could definitely see the distinction and, you know, you can definitely see, who the McCready's are and who the the Dr. Blair's are in this whole uh, pandemic that's going on. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, without a doubt. I don't want to touch too much on it, but yeah, you can definitely see who who's trying to keep a, a grip on reality and who's devolving into this sort of paranoia. Yep. So. All right, McCready, Childs, The Thing. We're down to two people yes. at the very end of the movie. Nalls dies off screen. Gary, yeah. uh, Gary. Assimilated real quick. Yeah, with like <laughs> fingers through the head and just crazy, yeah. crazy scene. All right, for the listeners, there are like through the years, people have gone on to try to figure out and make sense of the final scene where Childs returns back and the camp is completely blown up. They've got yep. just hours remaining before the fire burns out and they've got no camp and they're essentially going to freeze to death. You got, you got Childs, Keith David, and you've got McCready, Kurt Russell, and it's just the two of them. We've got that paranoia. We've got that lack of trust. And it's a, essentially a potential standoff between yeah. these two men or one man, one monster, or... Are they both monsters? So I guess yeah. the, the question is, how do you make sense of, uh, because I, I've, I've got my take, but I'm curious yeah. to know what your, what your take is. Yeah, I mean, I've been floating around a couple of theories ever since watching that film most recently about you know what's what, basically. And in a perfect world, Childs and McCready are two badasses that are 
just that they're they're both humans and they just have a little bit of distrust for each other which is you know obvious but i will say um my the way i'm looking at it i have to say child's is is the assimilation in my opinion okay um the reason why i say that is because he was off screen for such a long time um you know anything could have happened to him and you know my my the main reason why i say this is because one of the main things that mccready was doing was he was making molotov cocktails so who's to say that he didn't have an extra one because you didn't see him drink the drink right when charles walks in okay meaning you see where i'm going with this yeah, meaning that could have been you're, you're using the uh the gasoline or kerosene uh kerosene theory exactly right? yep. yeah yeah because you know i mean that's just my one of the theories but that's kind of like the theory that I've, I've stuck in because i want kurt russell to be a human and not the thing right but you know it could have easily been where that was kerosene and charles is like oh this is tasty and that's why Kurt Russell is like, oh, we'll just, we'll just wait here a while because he knows at some point he's going to give himself up a little more and then he's just going to pull a bullet to the brick. Right to the head, basically. Yeah, yeah. For for the listeners, there are there are a couple real popular camps out there. One is is Childs. You see the thing. It's a popular. It's a good. It's a good theory with the Molotov cocktails. They call it like the gasoline or the kerosene theory. Uh, there's another one with the with the breath theory, uh, which is you see a whole lot of Kurt Russell like breath going on and everything, yeah. and you're not seeing anything from uh, Keith David, or if you are seeing anything, it's substantially less. There are those yeah. two things right there that have caused many people to suspect that Childs is is the thing. There are yeah. some that think that McCready is because you you didn't necessarily you can't completely trust the blood test. So there there yeah. but more more but more than likely people are usually in agreement that McCready was human. The question is whether yeah. or not Childs was a human. And. And that's the that's the other thing that um, what I remember I was talking about earlier with the whole um, in post production with uh, this shine across their eyes. Um, Charles didn't have it at the end, mm-hmm. but McCready did. Right, which leads me again to like if you watch it and you see throughout the whole film like this shine across everyone's <laughs> eyes, but those who are have been assimilated. Um, that that also leads me to believe it. But of course, you know. I can't remember who said it in this documentary, uh, if it was John Carpenter or the, um, or one of the special effects people, they were saying at least one of them is assimilated. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I, I remember hearing that unless I dreamt it. No. So I've heard people make that claim. Here's my take. And I'm not saying I am right, or you are right, or you're wrong and I'm wrong, whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah. The ambiguity is 100% intentional. And what I mean by that is shit the the final line which you already said you know we'll just uh wait and see what happens that was the line that kurt russell went ahead and came up with they they shot a couple different endings one of which which child's definitively was not the thing and then the other one was where they just have this open ended now child's or the actor keith david he doesn't believe himself to be the thing Kurt Russell doesn't believe himself to be the thing, but I think the most interesting thing, and I'm kind of on the same page with this one, with the intended ambiguity, I think they thought they might have had a sequel on their hands. Yeah. And as a result of that, they didn't want to tip their hand. They didn't necessarily, because they didn't, they they just knew that they wanted to, they were going to have these two guys. And for me personally, I think they're both human. For me, it's a more interesting story, but they're both going to die regardless. You know, they're, they're left with each other and just to freeze out and it's going to be their own paranoia that's going to kill them as opposed to potentially work together to i don't know to save a couple extra minutes of their life i don't know i don't know but i think the ambiguity was intended for the idea of doing a sequel but as a result Mm -hmm. of the overall like overwhelming failure and the way this movie was panned the movie never got a sequel no it got a prequel like 30 years later uh which is kind of cool interesting Uh, i still haven't ever i haven't seen it it's actually really interesting i will say that it was it's pretty okay it's pretty cool 
listeners, what do you think? Do you think Childs was the thing? Do you think McCready was the thing? Do you think they were both human? Do you think they were both a thing? What do you think? I'd uh, love to hear what you have to say. Nathan, do you have any closing thoughts uh, before we quiz you and test your knowledge? Uh, not really. I mean, I would have loved to have seen a sequel. The, the thing that, um, you know, is interesting is that this parasite is always looking out for itself. Mm. So when you were, when you were talking about your explanation, I thought it was interesting how the human condition is programmed to uh, very much be distrusting. And I just thought it was interesting how both of them were distrusting where now that I'm looking at it and I'm thinking about it, it'd be actually beneficial for the thing to be like, okay, let's, let's get out of here. You know, so, but we've also seen that it can survive extremely cold temperatures as yeah. it was encased in a block of ice. For, I think they, I just thought I, it was interesting how, huh? No, I was going to say, didn't uh, someone say it was like maybe like 10,000 years or whatever? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it's been there for a while. That's certainly for sure. And I just thought it was so interesting how, you know, both of them are just so distrusting of the other. Um, I mean, I'm still going to stand by, stand by my man, Kurt Russell. And Without say, a doubt. Hey, He's 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 the badass. I would love to see both of them, but I, I think that Charles is is definitely not not to sway your uh, your viewers, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm sure I can get um, your mom to to be on my side. That's yeah, sure. right, 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 right. It's also important for me to believe that Childs was a human because mm-hmm. when I look at this at the genre or film as a whole. Yeah. This is one of the first times that I can think of where the black guy lives. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he's not the first one to die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, this was a movie that was completely without any females at all. You had, you know, like, no females whatsoever. But there were, you know, you had two African-Americans in the film. One dies off camera, and then yeah. one one survives to the end. And like I said, when you look at other movies within this genre, it's been a long gag that black people are the first to go in a film, you know? So yeah. not that this movie was trying to have any type of social commentary in that aspect, because I really don't think so. Maybe, maybe that was something Carpenter was interested in exploring. I don't know, but I do find it interesting. I think it's a good thing uh, just because of the fact that the, the genre has long been horrible uh, to the black yep. population in the way that they that they that they uh portray them on screen oh absolutely all right so boom here we go all right so i call oh, this the hot seat until i come up with a different name okay well i will say i i live by the creed seeds get degrees so let's do this <laughs> all right what is the uh-huh. name of the american outpost oh shit <laughs> Question number one, already stumping you. Oh, no. I can give, oh, I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll, all right, I'll, I'll just uh, have fun. I'll give you a couple options here, okay? Okay, All sure. right. Is it Outpost 31? Is it Outpost 41? Is it Outpost 51? I think it's 31. Um, Correct answer. If I'm not, yep. Yep. Now that you, because like it was, it was a number. I knew that much. It was a number, but I just couldn't remember what it was. Yep. Outpost thirty-one. Question number two: What brand of whiskey is McCready drinking? Jesus, these are things that I I would not notice. I want to say, um, I want to say Jim Beam, but I don't even know if they do whiskey. I'm, I'm horrible at. Um, so you were <laughs> you, you you weren't too far off. You weren't too. So it's actually J and B. Not to be mistaken with Jim Beam, but it was, it's J and B, which is a, like a like a Scotch, like uh, whiskey. Uh, what game is yep. Ch- uh, McCready playing when he killed uh, when he kills it with his whiskey? Chess. Boom. Chess. Do you remember the name of? Yep. It was Chess Wizard, um, but but um, Chess Wizard. Yeah. Yeah, but Chess. Boom. You got that correct. All right. How many people were at the base? Okay. Um... Let's see. Can I count them out? Sure. Let's see. Um, there was Knowles, Palmer, Gary, um, McCready, Childs. Did I say Clark? Nope. Nope. Clark. Uh, Jed. I'll count Jed. <laughs> and I'll count the 
I'll count the other, I think, four dogs. I'll say 11, 11 or 12. All right. So what is your final answer? <laughs> I'll do 12. 12 is 12 correct. 12 counting the dogs. 12. Is that counting the dogs? No, 12 humans. No, 12 humans and then like I think four or five dogs. Yeah. So like a total of 17 yeah. or 12. 12, uh, 12 people. Boom. All right. So what characters die off screen? Uh, I'll give you a hint. There are only two. Knowles and um, when you say die, do you mean assimilated or just flat out dead? Because we didn't see um, the one guy sitting next to uh, Childs die. I can't remember his name for life of me, though. But he was the one who got tested positive for the thing, basically. Well, then, he, then, he, and, and but then he died, right? I mean, so... Oh, fair, oh yeah, you fair either, enough. You so either, you don't mean... You either see them die or get, a, or get assimilated, on ca- uh, assimilated on camera. There are two, and you got right, you got Nals. Yeah. Nals was one. Yeah. There was one other um, character. I'll give you a clue. You said his name mm-hmm. earlier. Um, his name is like is almost like a bad word. Oh, um, Fuchs, Fuchs, Fuchs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fuchs. Yep. So not yeah, bad. I, not bad. You got not bad. I, you got, I think I got like one out of five. Hey, whatever you, you know, uh, but, uh, <laughs> the, the, the bonus, the bonus question is what song was Nalls listening to? Oh, you're a bastard. I remember I, the song was stuck in my head the whole movie. Um, don't tell me. Um, there is super yep yeah, because i was because i it's funny i just finished watching um uh the film 1408 so i have nothing but it is only just begun in my head right now oh. so all i can think of is it is only just begun that <laughs> so. is funny nathan we are all out of time uh thank you so much for coming out and uh joining us for uh for my episode three of Stamper Cinema. So, of course. Uh, did you have fun? I did. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to be back, you know. I yeah. It, it's it's a lot of fun to talk cinema, especially with with someone who who started me out in cinema um being interjected. <laughs> <laughs> what did, what did what did Vanessa just say? She said, "Oh god." <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, yeah. Well, it's but, okay though. Yeah, you can you can tell Vanessa that I, I I love her very much, and thank you for letting me borrow her husband for the past hour. Although I'm sure she yeah. loved the time away from you. Yeah, nothing but nothing but love. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, I will see you around, and once again, thank you very much for for joining us today. Of course, thank you for having me.